Welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. I'm your host, Doug Peters, and along with me today is Marty Elliott. Our guest on today's episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts is Dave Hansen. Dave is the executive director of the Island Sports Center at RMU University. Today we're going to be discussing Dave's playing career as well as his movie career and being nominated for the most handsome guy of the 20th century. Welcome, Dave. <laughs> well, I couldn't have wrote it any better, uh, Doug. Thank you for the intro. Uh, no problem. L really looking forward to this because uh, we've had the opportunity to chat in the past when I've been out to visit your facility and it's uh, just one Minnesota boy with another and then we've got this guy from London, Ontario who thinks he knows a little bit about hockey that's going to chime in every now and again. Yeah, just a bit, Doug. At least I can still skate. Well, you know, if they'd still make double runners, Marty, I'd be out there. Dave, I've got a question for you. Um, you it, it says you're born in Cumberland, Wisconsin. How did you get from Cumberland, Wisconsin to St. Paul, Minnesota, where you spent your formative years as a youth growing up playing hockey? Well, my dad was from Cumberland, grew up there, uh, born and raised there, and, uh, you know, before he went off to the Navy and met my mom up in the same area. So uh, it was interesting when, when uh, well, actually while he was still in the Navy is when uh, I was born. Uh, and uh, what, what they would do is, uh, at least what they did with me, and then it kind of started, it, it went on with my younger brother and, and two younger sisters, me being the oldest in the family, is that because my dad was in the Navy, he sent my mom up from the cities from St. Paul, where she was living, to uh, to spend time with her mom and have the baby. So I ended up, uh, you know, being born in Cumberland, um, as did two of my sisters, kind of, again, from the same pattern. So that's kind of how it started out being born in Cumberland, and even though I grew up in St. Paul, I still, because my grandparents were up in the, in the Cumberland area uh, on a lake up there, I uh, would spend a lot of my summers and, quite frankly, a lot of my time up there. So to this day, uh, you know, I, I kind of say when people say, where are you from? I say, well, I grew up in St. Paul, but was born in Cumberland. So it's kind of like roots in both locations. Well, as a kid growing up in Minneapolis, I think you're definitely choosing a better place to say you're from uh, being Cumberland. Uh, than St. Paul, although being a Minneapolis kid nowadays uh, is not the greatest either. But um, where did you go to high school, and uh, did you play – I'm assuming you played hockey in high school because you ended up at the University of Minnesota. Uh, what was your high school team? Well, first off, let me comment on that Minneapolis uh, comment that you made. You know, I can tell you one thing that us boys from St. Paul never got accused of, and that was being cake eaters like you folks in Minneapolis. So uh, don't be – don't be down in St. Paul, uh, cake eater. Uh, but anyhow, uh, yeah, I grew up in uh, I grew up in St. Paul, and uh, you know, certainly as an early age, like all of us in Minnesota, uh, Doug, you would know, and same with you, Marty, um, is that uh, in Minnesota, it's a land of ten thousand lakes, so there's a lot of water that freezes over. The longest season is the winter season there. So, you know, you could put on skates at a young age, and that's, you know, my dad uh, did no different than with me, that he found a pair of skates for me to uh, slap on, certainly a pair of used skates, and started skating out in the ponds in the local uh, neighborhoods. And, uh, you know, kind of right from there, I uh, found a hockey stick like everybody else did and just, you know, played uh, shinny hockey uh, growing up in the local neighborhoods and then went on to... Play organized hockey up through the high school ranks. Uh, 
we the the, the school that I played for was a uh, St. Paul Inner City School, St. Paul uh, Conference, um, and we certainly uh, were not very good, uh, as I was not very good, uh, but somehow managed to uh, to uh, get a career out of it. So you know, it was a good life. Had a lot of fun doing it and growing up there. Did you get the opportunity to play in the state high school hockey tournament with your team while you were in high school? Are you kidding me? No, uh, you know I didn't. Just to give you a little little idea of, of the school uh, kind of school I was, it was it was uh, Humboldt High School. Uh, we were on the west side of St. Paul. Um, our hockey rink was literally the rink that we built uh, outside. Um, uh, we made our own ice. Uh, you know, the Zambonis for us was really uh, kind of a combination of power skating uh, lessons that we took by pushing the scrapers up and down the ice. Uh, and that's how we cleaned the ice, uh, flooded the rinks ourselves. And I did not skate on indoor ice until I made our varsity team as a sophomore. And then it was only games. So, you know, that's again, and that's not a, quite frankly, that's not an unusual um uh, way things were done back in those days, you know, northern Minnesota, which, you know, historically back then always had great hockey teams in the Minnesota high school tournaments. You know, that's always done there, too. So that was common for us. There's very few indoor rinks, whether you're up on the range or in the Twin City areas uh, that we played out. Most of our practice, all of our practices were usually outside and and uh, and then very few of our games are, were outside, but mostly inside. So as far as getting to the state high school tournament, no, I, uh, you know, I watched it on TV. That's about as close as I got to the high school tournament. Well, I would think that they would let you be an honorary all high school tournament team just for the flow of your hair that you have. <laughs> what, what do you think about that? Well, even back then, they didn't have the flows like they did, like they do now, to make the big deal out of the flows. But you know, yeah, I was probably, you know, I had the long hair then. Um, and although, you know, I guess uh, not to toot my horn a little bit, but even though I didn't, uh, our team didn't make it to the high school tournament. You know, I, I did get lucky enough to uh, get picked to the uh, all-state Minnesota all-state uh, team back then. Um, and certainly all city and St. Paul. So there was a couple of accolades that, that came down my, came along my way against the, the odds that we had uh, playing with the kind of team that we had, which just really was just a bunch of kids that had a good time, wanted to play hockey and play hard and didn't go very far with it, but you know played it for all the right reasons. I, I do want to clarify that as a Minneapolis kid on the South side, I don't think we were ever referred to as a cake eaters. I think you're getting us confused with those Edinaites that uh, we never wanted to have to associate with when we were growing up, but you always wanted to get uh, to Edina and live there when you got older due to better schooling and uh, lower taxes uh, over there. But yeah, I, I, I might have to ask uh, Reed Larson or Mike Ramsey if uh, they ever recalled being called a cake eaters by that city that doesn't really matter across the river, but. Well, I know, I know Reed personally, and uh, although, you know, I'll, I'll accept that disclaimer, Doug, uh, I get, I think it was just, especially with Reed, in fact, I saw him about a year ago at a Herbie Brooks uh, function in St. Paul. Uh, maybe he didn't eat much cake back then, 
uh, but he's eating a heck of a lot of cake now. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a guest on one of our podcasts earlier. I reached out to him. He's a fellow Roosevelt High School graduate. He graduated uh, I, when I was a kid. I thought it was a dozen years before me, but it uh, turns out it was only six. And uh, it was a great conversation. He's a great guy. I used to bowl with his father. Uh, so a lot, of, a lot of good history there with the South Minneapolis boys. Uh, he's one of the best, that's for sure. He is. Uh, Dave, did you play any other sports growing up, or was hockey pretty much uh, all you did? No, you know, more, and, and I think you can kind of equate it, you know, or at least compare it to the athletes nowadays, the kids growing up. Most of the kids back then, you know, and again, when I say back then, I guess I'll disclose my age, you know, that was, you know, growing up in the uh, 60s and I graduated from high school in 72, it was very, very uncommon that the kids that played sports weren't three-sport athletes, especially in Minnesota uh, and in our neck of the woods. So, uh, so for me, um, you know, it started out kind of finding my way playing a lot of sports. I was, you know, track and field, uh, wrestling, football, baseball, hockey and then I settled in as I got into uh, you know my high school years pretty much in fact I was actually told I needed to start making some choices because I couldn't do all of them uh, I settled in on baseball football and hockey so uh, although hockey you know was the sport we played the most because the winners were the longest you know football uh, was was really my primary passion in fact I actually thought that if I was going to go anywhere in the sporting world moving on to the higher level into college sports it was going to be in football and it was really through uh, through an unfortunate sports injury I had playing baseball sliding in second bake at a base that I kind of tore up my ankle and kind of lost some of the speed that uh that I had that kind of almost settled me into uh, playing hockey, you know, and being recruited uh, at the collegiate level to play hockey. So that's, that's kind of, you know, all things, strange things worked out. Certainly disappointed that I, at the time that I wasn't going to pursue a, uh, a football, collegiate football uh, path. Uh, but, you know, when Herbie Brooks comes knocking at your door, you kind of drop everything and say, yeah, I'll definitely be a gopher. You, you just lead into my next question. What was your path to the U, and what was it like playing for who I think is one of the greatest coaches of all time uh, at the U, Herb Brooks? Well, uh, the path was pretty pretty simple. I uh, I actually, like I said, I actually thought maybe I was going to uh, to I think it was the University of New Mexico to play football, and um, and you know I got. Uh, I was also being recruited by Wisconsin to play hockey and as well as some of the uh, smaller schools, you know, Gus Davis Adolphus, you know, which would ring a bell with you, Doug, and, you know, some of those those smaller schools. But, uh, but Herbie, uh, you know, Herbie reached out to me. I guess uh, there, was a, there was an old sports writer by the name of Charlie Hallman who used to, uh, for the St. Paul Pioneer Press who covered uh, the high school hockey sports as well as the North Stars and, and, and some of the other uh, sports areas and for some reason he uh, he kind of latched on to following my my uh, hockey career through high school and and uh, and got a hold of uh, Herbie and said you know you might want to take a look at this kid and Herbie came out and I guess according to what uh, Charlie Allman the sports writer said to me he says Herbie took a liking to you um, and as a result of that, uh, Herbie invited me to uh, come play for the Gophers, 
um, and you know I didn't have to uh, think twice about it, and and you know that's where I started out. So as a as a true freshman, uh, 18 year old, I started out at the university and actually thought it was going to be uh, starting out with the kind of practices we had. I thought we were training for football. Herbie had us with weighted vests on, running up and down the uh, the university's football stadium and just doing a lot of things that were foreign to me as a hockey player. Um, yet, you know, when we hit the ice and and, uh, and went through all the conditioning drills, uh, you know, we knew that we were going to be the uh, at least the, the best conditioned uh, athletes to, to be on the ice at the time. And and then, uh, you know, the drills that Derby put us through were kind of unique as well and um, very interesting. Uh, a lot of hard work, uh, a lot of fun. It was really demanding, but fair. Uh, expect a lot out of people and certainly uh, through his techniques got the, the best uh, out of someone that uh, they had to offer. I think with Herbie, and I was lucky enough to have him as a uh, instructor at a hockey camp certainly wasn't uh, anywhere near the level of player that uh, you were. But I, I think one of the things I've learned about him in reading some different books about the 1980 Olympic team uh, was that he was a master psychologist. And I think he knew what buttons to push with every player. Is that a fair assessment of Herb? Or were there different things that he did? Yeah, well, there was different things that he did, you know, and, you know, Certainly not at the time did we realize it. We just thought there were a lot of strange things because, you know, keep in mind, this was 1972-73 when at that time, every kid that was on that hockey team were kids only from Minnesota. They weren't recruiting outside the state. So, you know, you had kids, again, from anywhere from the Iron Range going down into, you know, Minneapolis, St. Paul and those surrounding areas. And you know, hockey practice was pretty typical. Well, Herbie was not only a student of the of the North American game, but it was pretty unique, as have been in has been a student of the European game. So he kind of you know was mixing the two together. So there's a lot of a lot of unique things going on there. But to your point, you know, he would find ways to um, get the best out of you. By, you know, and in hindsight, I guess. Uh, kind of knowing your mind and, and pushing those buttons and you'd either, and I think this was kind of a test to uh, to the quality of the athlete at the time, you know, you'd either get so pissed off that you'd work harder and you want to prove them wrong or you would buckle and just say, you know what, I'm not putting up with it. Uh, this is not my idea of, of uh, how the game should play and how I should be treated. But, you know, he was such, uh, even at that time coming up, you know, he was a St. Paul Johnson fella. Um, Johnson High School came up uh, on the east side of St. Paul, and uh, and right before I got to him, uh, he was coaching the St. Paul uh, junior team there, and it was his first year at the university, which was my first year at the university. So we were both kind of newcomers to it. So I think uh, you know, for me, it was it was a, a, a big. Uh, rude awakening as to you know what is what the expectations are at that level and i think he was kind of setting a tone uh on what the expectations were going to be from him to be able to play for him so um in short i guess to answer your question is yeah you know he had a combination of two things he knew how to push buttons but he also knew how to um if you needed a little bit of coddling how to do it but without being a softy 
Yeah, and that, that's the thing I think uh, I saw with the 80 Olympic team that he knew how the players were going to react, uh, which ones needed a pat on the popo and which ones needed a kick in the pants. And I, I think the, you know, it's not anything that is earth shattering from my standpoint of an opinion, but I think people realize that his common goal was to get the team to have one focus, and that was to have this, um, th this I don't know if it'd be hate, but just the, the common goal was to Herb was the bad guy, and we're going to prove him wrong uh, because we're better than what he thinks we are. And all along, he was just playing them. Yeah, well, you know, at that world stage, I think by that time, he really, you know, 1980, he had, uh, how do you want to say, mastered his craft and his approach, whereas maybe in 1972, he was, you know, still still molding that, you know, because I can tell you, you know, for me, um, one of the, on one hand, you look back and you say, you know, would you do anything different in your in your past? And, and you know, one of the things I would look at is that I didn't get the opportunity to really uh, travel, you know, four years with Herbie as he was, uh, you know, taking his craft and, and molding it in his direction. I spent about a year with him at that point. And I wasn't good enough yet to uh, play in the varsity team, nor was I patient enough to to uh, spend four years. So I actually, after a year or so, went back into the junior ranks, uh, but certainly kept close tabs on the University of Minnesota. And, you know, they won national championships under him, uh, which certainly was a testament of, of how he was getting to the point of being able to take Playa's trade at the, at a world level, uh, which he did with the Olympic Games, and certainly, you know, it's all history from there. Dave, uh, you work at the arena that is part of Robert Morris University, which is now a D1 program. How often do you get behind the wheel of the Zamboni machine and go out there and make ice for the players? <laughs> well, we talk about how people graduate from their, from their stark beginnings. Uh, Fortunately for the ice and for our D1 teams and for my operations people, I don't go behind it at all anymore. I mean, I was here and when we, uh, when this facility was under construction and it's it's quite a grand facility, um, I was here the first year and then when we opened the doors, you know, I was the guy driving the Zamboni, cleaning the toilets, cleaning the glass, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then fortunately, I was able to get uh, people in here that uh, were much better at it. Uh, so I get to watch them go around. I still, you know, still like a little kid. I'll watch the Zamboni going around and around the ice. But fortunately for, like I said, the ice and, and my staff, I don't have to get on that machine and drive it anymore. Well, we're going to venture into your pro hockey career. And I'm going to be bringing Marty Elliott into this because Marty is a much better hockey player uh, has been than I have, so he'll be able to uh, speak on a more level playing field than I would. But um, what location and what team did you enjoy most during your pro hockey career? I'm going to ask Marty to step in and ask some of the questions that we've got for you as well. Well, that's a tough question. Uh, I can tell you that pretty much everywhere that I played, I thoroughly enjoyed Um First off, because I loved playing the game, um, you know, and I played for some some great hockey teams, and I played some pretty crappy hockey teams. But 
you know, I think the overriding factor that I just wanted to play, I didn't care where I was playing at, who I was playing with, or who I was playing for. Uh, but, you know, I would say that, you know, when, when I first turned pro, uh, you know, I signed with uh, the Minnesota Fighting Saints out of St. Paul, which was the, in the WHA, which was, you know, the competitor of the NHL at the time, and their farm team was in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And, you know, my first year there was uh, quite an eye-opener. You know, I talk about eye-openers were playing for Herbie Brooks, my first experience with Herbie. You know, going into a place like Johnstown, Pennsylvania uh, was quite a shock, uh, first off, because of the type of city it was, uh, which was an old, you know, steel mill city. And uh, and also the brand of hockey that uh, we were playing, which was pretty well close to the lowest rung of the ladder of professional sports. Um, it was quite a rude awakening, but, you know, we go on to win a championship that year. And I, you know, and when, and when you win a championship, you know, at, at any level uh, of a sport that you're playing with, you know, that that just contributes to being, you know, some of the, the best times of your life. So, so in short, you know, I can say there's only one city that I didn't really care much for, which, uh, which, which made help the decision to retire at the end of my career. But all the other ones, you know, Johnstown, Pennsylvania, Birmingham, Alabama, um, Indianapolis, uh, you know, Bloomington with, when I was with the North Stars, uh, you know, they were all great places. Yeah, speaking of the North Stars, uh, Dave, it's Marty here. So you went to the big show twice uh, with uh, Detroit Red, Red Wings and uh, the Minnesota North Stars. Uh, take us back in, uh, in memory lane. Who uh, kind of stands out when you're with those clubs uh, that uh, you had the opportunity to play with that kind of had a wow factor in your uh, in your memory as far as uh, skill sets? Well, uh, you know, my first when I was when I started out with Detroit, um, I got to tell you that probably the biggest thrill I had, uh, you know, for the for the short term I was with them was being on the ice and playing against Bobby Orr, uh, which ironically. I think I played against Bobby Orr's last game as a professional, and he was with the Chicago Blackhawks. And I tell the funny story that uh, you know I was I was such in Gaga land that I actually had the opportunity where I was coming down the wing, carrying a puck, and I look up, uh, which was unusual for me because I usually had my head buried on the puck. I was afraid I was going to chop that thing into pieces if uh, if I didn't keep a close eye on it. Uh, but I looked up, and there in front of me, I'm coming down on Bobby Orr. So I crossed the blue line into uh, into the attack zone, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, it's Bobby Orr. Oh, my God, it's Bobby Orr. There's no way I'm going to be able to go uh, and beat Bobby Orr. So I do the blind behind the pass, behind the back pass, which, of course, goes right on to a Chicago Blackhawks stick. They go down and score, and I don't see the ice the rest of the night. Ouch. Uh, but I got to see Bobby Orr. <laughs> Up close and personal. You know what? Could you have picked anyone right. on the side that could uh, that could uh, make a memory last like that? So that's that's awesome. What about with the uh, North Stars? Uh, you know, with the North Stars, uh, you know, that was in, that was '78, I think it was, and uh, you know, it was at the time when uh, Philadelphia had the Broad Street Bullies and and. Uh, uh, you know, Montreal was just flying. So, you know, uh, one of the stories I'll pick out again, you know, to give you a, give you a little bit of a sense of the, how my professional NHL career was, was, you know, I'm in Montreal 
playing against the Canadians. And, you know, everything you hear, you talk to any player, you know, especially back in that day when you're in the, you know, the forum, the Montreal forum and, and, you know, just the, just the aura of the place and the history and, and being in the place and you're sitting there and, and you look in the stands and, you know, all of the fans are either in, you know, the women are, they're all dressed up looking good in fur coats or the guys are in there with, you know, suits and hats and, and it's like, holy, holy smokes, you know, not your typical hockey crowd uh, for the States, but certainly your typical hockey crowd for Montreal and a line up against uh, Yvonne Cornway. And uh, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm playing here. I'm lining up against Yvonne Cornway. So, of course, the puck gets dropped and uh, and Yvonne goes in and scores a goal. And again, uh, you know, I don't see the ice the rest of the, rest of the game uh, because I, I didn't cover Yvonne, Yvonne very well. But you know, those kind of things are just you know, those little snapshots going into Philadelphia and lining up uh, and you look at center ice and there's Bobby Clark, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, so those kind of things are, are just uh, for a kid like me coming out of, you know, small west side of St. Paul, uh, you know, playing on a rink outdoors and now I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm at the National Hockey League. It, it, you know, just every place I went and every time I stepped on the ice, it was just a thrill. Dave, I want to talk to you a little bit about Birmingham hockey. You got the opportunity, or did you get the opportunity to play for uh, Glenn Sonmore and John Brophy? And if so, what was that kind of like? Well, I did, Doug. In fact, uh, I, I tell anybody anytime anybody asks, you know, I, I've had a 10-year professional career. I think during those 10 years, I played in every professional league that existed during that 10-year span. And of all the coaches that I played for, uh, Glenn and John were my two favorite coaches. Um, Glenn was the general manager. Actually, Glenn's the one, one that signed me to my first, first professional contract with the Minnesota Fighting Saints. He was the GM there with Harry Neal as a coach. And so that's where I first met Glenn. Uh, and then later, um, when he went to the WHA and, uh, and was coaching the Birmingham Bulls, Glenn made the first, was, was instrumental in making the first uh, trade between the WHA and the NHL to get me from Detroit to Birmingham and come and play for him. And, you know, that year, uh, you know, you talk about your favorite places to play. Birmingham was just awesome. Um, you know, we had a team that certainly uh, he put together that um, kind of, was right in my groove because it was a tough, very aggressive, tough team. We had some outstanding hockey players like Frank Mahovlich, Paul Henderson, Mark Napier, uh, you know, the list goes on. But we also had some real, you know, tough hombres like Steve Durbano, Jill's Bad News, Billado, Frank Never Been Beaten, Beaten, uh, myself and others. So, and he played us regularly, he played me regularly, put a lot of responsibility on me. I grew as a great hockey player. Uh, he actually gave me a most improved hockey player award at the end of the season. And he was just the kind of guy that um, let you know what he expected out of you. And if you gave it to him, uh, he uh, you talked about pat on the back, he'd give you that. Uh, and he was the kind of guy that, you know, you would go through a wall for. And, and I loved playing for him. And Brophy was uh, cut from the same cloth. Uh, hard-nosed player, um, wanted you to just compete hard, give it your best, put you in situations to be successful. Um, 
and uh, put a lot of responsibility on you. So, you know, those two guys are probably one of my most favorite players that I played for. And, and, and after I got done, after my playing career, we actually uh, continue to become uh, and maintain a very good and close friendship. Now, I'm looking at your stats here on Wikipedia. You played 42 games in the 77-78 season uh, with Birmingham and um, were able to accumulate 241 penalty minutes. Did you have a plaque or a, a chair that was yours in the penalty box that nobody else got to sit in? <laughs> No, but I had a pretty good arrangement with the uh, with the pizza man. Uh, so he, you know, knew he knew what kind of pizza I liked. That's for sure. Now that's again, that's that team. I think we rivaled the uh, Broad Street Bullies in penalty minutes uh, that year with Philadelphia, and uh, and you know we were a team that uh, like Philadelphia. You know, under Freddie Shiro, Glenn and Brophy, you know, both designed to have. Uh, not only you have to be able to go out and play the game of hockey, but intimidation was part of the game plan. And, you know, and I, I again, fulfilled that role very well. Well, that's great. Did you get to play in the game that was dubbed the Thanksgiving Day Massacre against the Cincinnati Stingers? I did not. Uh, I was... Uh, that year was when, right after that they uh, they brought me over, but uh, I know exactly the one that you talk about. Uh, but I guarantee you that pretty much uh, every game we played was was pretty most pretty close to being uh, similar to that Thanksgiving massacre. There's another guy in the rink industry who owns an ice rink down in uh, Cincinnati, Rich Sturm. I don't know if you've run across him or not, but. He's always posting on his Facebook page uh, pictures of the Cincinnati Stingers. So I'm going to have to look forward to chatting with him about that. Maybe he can fill me in because I think he I think he did some lining uh, uh, later on in his career. He played a bit of hockey and then I think he became a linesman. But uh, big Cincinnati Stinger fan. Yeah, we uh, well after that they they brought a fellow in by the name of Paul Stewart, and you know Paul was. Uh, <laughs> Paul is certainly Stewie. notorious for for uh, have, yeah for having a great uh, career as an NHL referee. But if you ever talk to Stewie, he'll tell you you know every person he fought, uh, give you blow by blow details. And you know there's another guy that was passionate about the game and not afraid to uh, to uh, fulfill his role. And you know back in the day, and you know just as a little spinoff of the Thanksgiving Day massacre against the Stingers, uh, after that game they. They specifically brought Paul Stewart in, in hopes to uh, I don't know serve retribution, but hopefully not to allow something like that happen. So Paul and I used to go at it quite often. In fact, we historically go back to my when I started out in in Johnstown into those early years in the North American Hockey League, to the point where our trainer would. Uh, would look in the lineup to see if Stewie was in the lineup when we were playing against him. Cause then he'd say, well, I guess I got to get the Clorox again because we're going to be blood all over your Jersey. And I say, yeah, but it's not going to be mine. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So yeah, he's involved. I've had the pleasure of meeting Paul at a few NHL events, uh, all-star games. And he was also involved in a rink. I don't know if he still is or not uh, in Dedham, Massachusetts. Uh, the box center, but uh, interesting character, always a great chat uh, about 
the sport of hockey. And he also had a very interesting brother. One of his brothers was involved with uh, custom services, I believe, for the U.S. Uh, or Border Patrol, something along those lines. But uh, I- interesting family. Uh, it, Stewie's the best. He uh, he's a colorful guy. That again, you know, there's you, know, you talk about fellas back in that era. You know, certainly money uh, was important because we made a livelihood out of it. I mean, that's what we were living off of. But passion was a greater part of it. And, and uh, you know, I can say that as much as guys played for the money, you know, they played as much for the passion of the game. And Stewie certainly had as much passion, if not more, than many others. Sure. Do you have any reunions for any of the teams that you played on that uh, you still get together with where they have a group of guys get together, maybe just for a round of golf or a couple beers? Well, at this, you know, at, at, at our age now, it's kind of tough to get together. Uh, you know, everybody's spread about and, and as many teams as I played for over those t- 10 year span, you know, if I had a reunion, I'd, I'd, it'd be 365 days out of the year, it seems, but Unfortunately, no, you don't get together too often. I mean, I still keep in touch with, with some of the guys here and there. Um, a few years ago, quite a few years ago, uh, when I, had a, I played for a couple teams. I played for a, a couple of years for the Adirondack Red Wings, won a Calder Cup championship there in the American Hockey League, which is Detroit's farm team. And, and we had a bit of a reunion there where we actually played against the Rangers in the alumni game. So that that really was probably the last formal reunion, but, but, you know, the great thing about, you know, social media and email and, and cell phones and so forth is that you can find people usually and track them down and just kick around old time stories. And, and, you know, I've had the fortune of uh, being able to travel uh, all across North America and even over in Europe for the last you know, 20, 30 years, you know, when we get into something I'm sure you're going to bring up and just traveling across the country, you come across a lot of the guys, that you played with or played against. Uh, and certainly that's when the stories start flying and the beers start going, and it's a lot of fun. Well, it's interesting you brought up the name Mark Napier. He wrote a book uh, that has to do about Zambonis, and I uh, got to meet him a few years back, and unfortunately uh, I led with my chin, which I typically do, and said, you know, you were part of one of the worst trades ever in Minnesota North Star hockey history. You and Keith Acton, how that ever went down other than the coach Bill Mahoney at the time for Bobby Smith. They had a, you know, a one of a kind center and they traded him for Acton and Napier. Nothing against either one of them because they were decent hockey players, but they weren't Bobby Smith. And Smith went on to win a Stanley Cup up in Montreal. Yeah. Yeah. No, I played with Bobby a little bit there when I was with the North Stars. Outstanding player. Yeah. Well, that, you know. I'm sure Mark's got a lot of stories. I'd be interested. I didn't realize he wrote a book, but I'd be interested because, you know, he was part of that Birmingham team uh, as a young kid. And it'd be interesting to see how through the eyes of a young kid, you know, he saw what the heck was going on because it was certainly something that wasn't in his wheelhouse uh, because of the kind of player he was. He was just an incredible, incredible hockey player. Uh, but that's a good one. I didn't realize uh, him and Acton got traded for Bobby Smith. Uh, yeah. That, that's, well, yeah. that's what like, did he that have to been, say about that? <laughs> he he kind of agreed with it, and it wasn't near as bad as the Herschel Walker trade with Dallas, but uh, it's up there for <laughs> one of the one of the worst trades in North Star histories that, at least in in my memory uh, banks that I have. Hey, yeah. Dave, if we could get into the movie, you, you're a movie star in addition to being the executive director for the uh, facility with Robert Morris University. 
Slapshot. Did did you ever think that that movie would become the hockey cult favorite that it did? Well, absolutely. You had three good-looking guys that uh, were chick magnets, uh, great acting skills and studs, <laughs> and uh, so they give you the real answer. No, I can't stop laughing. <laughs> to the point where you know, when we did the movie. Um, Actually, before the movie was done, Universal Studios came to the three of us and said, uh, and we had no idea, but they came to us and said, you know, guys, we want to, uh, we like some, we like what we see so much. We want to sign you guys to a seven-year, seven-movie deal. And we're going, really? And he says, yeah, you know, we uh, we like what we're seeing, and, and we're thinking to ourselves, what are you nuts? But uh, they tried to negotiate a deal with us, and you know, being the uh, the brilliant. Uh, Einstein's that we were, we said, uh, no, we're not movie actors. You know, we're hockey players. We want to pursue our hockey career. So instead of hanging out in Hollywood with, you know, all the hot babes that Hollywood has to offer and, and becoming famous movie stars, uh, making millions, we decided to continue to ride buses and make pennies uh, over the next 10, 15 years of our <laughs> professional career. Yeah, but you probably have had a much happier life. I, I mean, like if you would have had to choose between your wife and maybe Jennifer Warren, who was in that flick, I'm sure you'd still choose your wife, would you not? Oh, absolutely. My wife was a lot harder back then. Yeah. <laughs> and still is, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make sure make sure she listens to this podcast. <laughs> I was just going to say, hey, Dave, you, you got to make sure your wife's in, in, listening to this podcast. <laughs> and don't bring her in halfway through. These questions. Yeah. What What did uh, your son's teammates think about his dad being in the movie? Were they Were they aware of that before they would see it? Uh, was this something that you shared early on in your son's hockey career? You know, you you hear my son tell a story. He had no idea that uh, you know what his dad had done uh, in the movies. And uh, which, you know, his, my wife and I uh, purposely kept them, shielded them from. And I come to find out actually years, years later after uh, after he, he got out at amateur hockey uh, that it was on a bus ride that uh, a team I was coaching for him at the time, but I wasn't on the bus with him that the parents popped in a slap shot and they and they watched it. And he he was uh, shocked. Uh, to say the least, that uh, people are telling him that that was his dad, uh, but he never brought it up to me. And and I, I'll be honest with you, I never, you know, I coached him all the way up till I think he was 16 years old, and and never had any idea that he had seen the movie, and or whether anybody was really uh, any of his teammates were giving him any uh, grief over it. Well, it, it's funny. I my dad brought me to that movie, and I would have been in in 77, I think that movie came out. I would have been in yeah. junior high. I would have been in the ninth grade. And he thought it was just going to be a hockey movie. I don't think he had any idea what it was about. And Paul Newman, and he's thinking, okay, it's just going to be a hockey parody. When we got done leaving the theater, it was like, you are not to tell your mother about this movie that I took you there. Because I think that might have been the first time I saw a woman's bare breasts in a, in a movie. And it was, it was something, but it, it's still one of the greatest movies of all time. Why it didn't win an Academy Award, you're going to have to fill me in on that. 
Well, that's what we ask ourselves that all the time. Uh, for some reason, I think it was Annie Hall, you know, some stupid Woody Allen movie won the Academy Award that year, uh, which also came out, I think, the same year as the first Star Wars or something like that. But but we made, you know, 25 years later, somehow uh, we did get acknowledged uh, when we made Slapshot 2, and we don't need to talk about Slapshot 2. But uh, the Hanson brothers did get awarded the Best Supporting Actors uh, for a uh, a premiere, uh, DVD premiere award uh, down doing the red carpet in Hollywood. So we got a little bit of retribution. Uh, but I'd be interested to know how your dad explained, uh, you know, a little bit about Hanrahan's wife, uh, uh, if you asked any of those questions. No, it was pretty much a keep your, your, your questions to yourself. Don't ask a lot. And I knew that by the tone of his voice, I was probably best to just take this one enjoy the moment that i got to go see that flick and then don't ever ask again about it <laughs> i think you're in company with a lot of uh, teenage kids i think so um what kind of skater was paul newman uh, was he reasonable or did you have to take him into the corner and tell him hey you gotta you gotta do your little crossovers or what, what do you got going on with him and instructing them on how to skate yeah, Paul was a reasonable skater. He wasn't. He wasn't good. You know, if you want to, you know, you talk about professional. The professional actors. You know, uh, Michael Onkin was the one that could really step in and, and play with us as pros. He he was an All-American, I think, at New uh, University of New Hampshire, and actually had an invite to the Rangers tryout. So, so you know, he could keep up. He he fit the role. Didn't need any uh, any extra help at all. The thing that Paul needed help with was. Um, was a hockey stick. Uh, as he would told us, he says, guys, he says, you know, I, I can skate. Uh, I grew up in Ohio, skated in the ponds. And before, uh, before we, we, he came on set, came to Johnson, start filming, you know, he would, he would go out in the early mornings and, and uh, get the rust off the blades and, and practice quite a bit before he actually came uh, to Johnstown to start filming. But what he said is we'd get into the hockey scenes and he put a hockey stick in his hand. He says, I have no idea what to do with this. What do I do with a hockey stick? So that's where we would take him aside, um, take him in a corner with a puck and, and show him some things with the hockey stick. And, and the great thing about Paul is that he was a natural athlete to begin with. And you certainly didn't have to tell him anything twice because he was a student of whatever he was doing. So, so you know, he, he obviously came across the screen looking looking pretty good, uh, which was a result of him working hard at, at trying to look good. Um, so skating party was pretty good uh, with the stick and a puck. Uh, that's where he really struggled, but still worked hard at it and came across pretty good with it. Did you ever get an invite from Mr. Newman to go to BIR uh, up in Brainerd, Minnesota to watch him race? Yeah, actually, uh, the year after the movie came out, uh, my dad and I uh, went to Brainerd uh, and watched him race. He uh, invited us up. Uh, and a little funny story about that is, uh, so he had us in the trailer. He had a little trailer parked on the side with, you know, with an area fenced off so people can get in. And uh, and he says, look, and he says, I got to head off to the um, to the pits and stuff. He says, so you know, the beers in the fridge, just kind of hang out. And uh, you know, when when the race starts, uh, he told us where to go, so forth. So we kind of were sitting out uh, outside of the trailer having a couple beers. And people kept coming up to my dad 
and saying, Mr. Newman, Mr. Newman, can we, can I get your autograph? And my dad's going, what, what the heck, you know? And, and it got to the point where suddenly after a few beers, my dad started saying, sure. And he'd walk up and he just ate it all up and started signing people their autographs as PL. And then uh, after, you know, afterwards, Paul came back, we told him the story. And he thought that was hilarious. He says, because I don't usually sign autographs. So, I'm, you know, it was good to have a, a good double in there for me. That's pretty funny. Did you ever get to skate against the Carlson brothers in real games in your career, uh, whether it be high school um, or pros? And were you, did you and Jack uh, get to play on the North Stars team at the same time? Well, to answer the first part of your question, I played against Jeff and Jack uh, when I played for the St. Paul Vulcans out of uh, out of uh, South St. Paul, Lakota Arena, and they played for the, is it Apple Valley? It's over there, Golden Valley, Apple Valley. Apple Valley Bruins. Uh, So I played against those guys, and and, uh, they were big, tough, ornery buggers to play against. Uh, Fortunately, uh, I didn't have to drop the gloves against them, but we had some pretty physical battles. And then we were all in training camp. Steve was still in high school. Jeff and Jack weren't. So Steve was still up in Virginia, Minnesota, going to school. Uh, and then when we got to training camp the following year with the uh, Saints, uh, Jeff, Steve, and Jack were all there. Uh, so certainly played with them and scrimmaged against them uh, before we all got sent to Johnstown on the same team. And then later on in our careers, I played against Steve when I was uh, playing for the Islanders farm team in Indianapolis and Steve was with the North Stars farm team in Birmingham so I played against Steve then and to answer your question about Jack playing with Jack with the North Stars one of the reasons Glenn brought me in was because Jack uh, was out for the season with a uh, bad back and had back surgery so they kind of brought me in to fill Jack's role so you know talk about Jack and the role that he played in tough guys you know I I tell anybody whenever they tell me who I think you know one of the best fighters in the game where I always throw Jack into that conversation because he was one big tough bugger that just, uh, you know, he had, uh, he had hammers for fists and his arms were, you know, knuckles dragged on the ground, you know, so he usually could uh, reach somebody, but he was just, he was endless, you know, kind of like a Bob Prober kind of fighter where he just wouldn't stop and, and he would eventually wear you down and just pound and pound the snot out of you. I remember going to a few games at the Met with some of my friends when we were younger and the Jack Carlson fan club and the people just loved him. And I mean, when he would score a goal, which wasn't very often, uh, although he got put out there, I think on the power play uh, a few times because he was a big body that was hard to move and uh, go Esposito and get the garbage goals in front of the net. But what what a guy. And he would leave it all out there for uh, for his teammates, just like you did. Well, Jack, yeah, the th- you know, the, the thing that happened a lot in those days was that, you know, most of those guys like Jack could play the game. Uh, you know, you go back to Dave the Hammer Schultz, uh, you know, he scored 20, 20 goals one year in the National Hockey League. And prior, you know, prior to uh, his career with, with Philadelphia, you know, he was a bit of a goal scorer, you know, in the junior and minor league. So, you know, the thing is, if you were the big tough fighter on the team, um uh, you often got kind of pigeonholed as the fighter and not allowed to play uh, the game on a regular shift. But Jack could play. Jack could, 
Heck, when when we started out in the minor leagues together, you know, he's he got called up to St. Paul to the Saints. I think about uh, two thirds through the season or halfway through the season. Well, he not only ended up third in penalty minutes on the team that year that he left. Uh, I was first, Jeff was second, and Jack was third. You know, and Jack only played half the season, but he was one of the leading scorers on the team. So, yeah, he could he could score goals. He could play the game, and and quite frankly, I think. Uh, if he had played a lot more, certainly uh, he would have been able to show his talent as a player a lot more, and not only be uh, not only known as as a tough guy as a fighter. How long did the filming take for the movie Slapshot? Well, we shot it in Johnstown. It took us about three months. We spent about three months in Johnstown. Then we spent a couple weeks uh, in a couple locations in New York, uh, down around the. Utica, New York, and Syracuse, and Rochester, New York. So it was a good three, three and a half months that we filmed on location in Johnstown, and then uh, then we had then we got into the hockey season. Uh, after we got into the following hockey season, we had to then go spend a couple of days down in Hollywood to do some voiceovers and dubbing and stuff like that. But the actual on-site filming was a good good three months. It was a it was a summer that, uh, although we had a lot of fun making a movie, um, we didn't have a lot of fun making a movie because it took away from, you know, our summers back then were, hey, let's go home, play softball, drink beer, and eat onion rings. Well, we couldn't do any of that other than drink beer uh, while we were making the movie. Did they have to do many retakes or was stuff pretty much shot and then they spliced it uh, if they needed to? Yeah, I don't think they did a lot of, uh, I think they shot everything. The neat thing about what they would do is uh, to, to determine whether they are happy or not was, you know, they would they would shoot, they would take a day uh, filming, send it off to New York to be developed, and a couple of days later it'd come back and they would watch what we call dailies. Uh, so they could determine ahead of time if they had to do any reshoots because I think once they put it all in the, had it all done and they, they said it was a wrap, they had enough there to put the film together and, and they had an award award-winning uh, editor by the name of Dee Dee Allen who put that clip together and pieced it all up. So I think they're pretty happy, at least on the on the production end of it, of uh, how it all came about and, and ended up being. Denny Lemieux uh, visited our plant a few years back, as we talked about earlier. What was it like with him in the movie? Was his accent real? Was that something that uh, he just was able to come up with? No, that Yvonne Barrett uh, was Daniel Lemieux personified. Uh, his accent was real. He was definitely a, a French Canadian. Um, he said he was a goalie. I don't know how much of a goalie he was because he, when we would go out and play, he, uh, he actually got hurt, uh, and they had to film around him for a while. They they put in a, uh, in fact, Ron Dockin, who's a Minneapolis boy, and uh, played his double in the movie, um, behind the mask. Um, but, uh, Danny was hilarious. You know, he was, a, he's a little guy. Um, to this day, we, you know, we talk about reunions. We get, I get together with Danny and a few of the other guys from the movie every once in a while. And he still seems the, says the, uh, the iconic lines from the film, uh, and sounds the same. And, and, you know, obviously did a terrific, terrific job, uh, in his role. You brought up Ron Dock, and, and I was wondering if you still stay in touch. He's a Roosevelt grad as well. His 
uh, parents owned Dock and Superette, which was right across the street from St. Main Sporting Goods, uh, right down the block from Roosevelt High School. Uh, you still stay in touch with uh, Ron at all? Yeah, I touch Ron and I, we seem to cross paths, it seems like, every few years. Um, you know, and, you know, the neat thing about Ron, or at least the funny story about Ron, Ron was actually the, my uh, my first roommate when, when he drove me from, uh, we had training camp up in Niagara Falls, and we drove together from Niagara Falls down to Johnstown. And Ron was a veteran uh, of the team in Johnstown, the Johnstown Jets. So after driving from Niagara Falls, getting into Johnstown, Pennsylvania, Instead of going right to the hotel room, he says, I'm going to take you to two places that are going to become two of your favorite places first. And I said, okay, what are they? He says, the Handler Hotel, where uh, where we drink our beer, and the Coney Island, where we eat our hot dogs. So we're pulling in like at 2 a.m. in the morning. Uh, we go to the bar first, of course, and uh, and, and have our share of uh, adult beverages there. And then he says, okay, before we hit the hotel Let's go hit Coney Island. So I had never had a Coney Island. I might grow up on White Castles, of course, in uh, in St. Paul, but I don't know that we ever had any really Coney Islands there. So went to Coney Island, and of course they all knew him. That you know the the server behind the uh, behind the counter, a big uh, heavy set woman, that had a cigarette hanging out of her mouth, and she had she had hot dogs lying up and down her arm. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what is this? And he and she says, you want the usual doc? He says, absolutely. So. We sat there and had a couple Coney Islands with the with the uh, chili on it and the mustard and the onions and they sure felt uh, they were wonderful going down. But about an hour later, laying in the hotel room, they weren't as wonderful coming back up. So that's the only time I ever went to Coney Island. I haven't it's been funny. back since. It's funny because one of the topics I'm like a foodie and we we're going to be talking a little questions and you brought up two great items there. Because I was going to ask you, if you grew up in the west side of St. Paul, you had to have visited the White Castle on Robert Street at least once or twice in your lifetime. Oh, absolutely. Actually, the, we used to go to one that – there used to be one right downtown St. Paul that was the one we, we visited the most uh, because that was a lot closer to us than going all the way up uh, on Robert. But uh, but that's a – you know, I get back home uh, – I try to get back home at least once a year and – I, there's two things I make sure I get before I leave. One is walleye, and the other one is White Castle. There you go. There you go. Well, maybe you should come up uh, with us fishing uh, some opener. You're always welcome. We've got a great group of guys. We go up to Leech Lake, and uh, we have very rarely, if ever, have walked away without having a fish fry uh, for opening weekend. And we'd love to have you if you want to join us. Uh, a couple oh, more questions couple more questions with regards to the movie um seeing as how you're this young stud um voted most handsome guy of the 20th century did uh you hang out with the hollywood crowd the jennifer warren and the swoozie kurtz or was it more the hockey guys stayed with the hockey guys and the hollywood people stayed with the hollywood people well i think if uh first off if you you know you say you've talked to uh I think you said you, you talked to Yvonne Barrett. Uh, and uh, if, one thing that these guys always will say, the movie actors would say that one of the unique things that made Slapshot so great was that the hockey players and the actors uh, kind of became one. Uh, there was no division between any of us. Uh, so other than, I can I will say people like Lindsey Krauss, um, 
Jennifer Warren. Didn't hang out with them. They were kind of on their own uh, own time. Uh, Michael Onkin occasionally, but he, I find out later because he was such a, I don't know the right term, whether you call it a method actor or what, but he kind of stayed in character all the time, which was, you know, in the movie he was a bit of a loner, so he kind of was a bit of a loner really on set as well. So it was kind of all the, you know, the other character guys, um, Johnny Upton, uh, you know, our captain, uh, Yvonne, um, you know, all, all the actors, but, you know, the other guy that, that would be with us was Newman. Uh, Newman just loved, uh, and as we did, loved hanging out together. Uh, we would, uh, after we get done shooting for the day, you know, we would go with Paul and Paul would go with us and we hit the bars and, and have a few beers uh, before, you know, it got a little uncomfortable for him for people started to see him and started bugging him. But you know, he was just a great guy. He just hung out with us, was a regular guy. You know, if you didn't know it was Paul Newman, you wouldn't know it was anybody different than just one of the other uh, one of the other athletes, you know, hockey players hanging with us. So it was pretty cool. We we all became pretty close during those three, four months and and um, hung on a lot and did a lot of fun stuff together. The the other thing that I noticed in this, uncredited, was uh, Bruce Boudreau. Is that the same Bruce Boudreau who become the NHL coach, including the Anaheim Ducks, and unfortunately had a habit of losing game sevens? <laughs> That's Bruce. Yeah. Oh, Gabby. Gabby and I were uh, roommates that year. He was a rookie. Uh, again, signed with the Minnesota Fighting Saints. Was uh, they sent them to Johnstown for the season. And uh, I know, I know, Gabby's got a book out. I haven't had a chance to read it, but uh, the thing is, he I believe he tells the story that uh, he's in. He's actually in the beginning of the movie quite a bit, and he said he purposely made sure they were shooting a lot of the hockey scenes, a lot of the uh, the game stuff, even before the Hanson brothers showed up and the movie was just getting started. And he made a point of always being around the net and, and flipping in and out of the uh, out of the camera lens to make sure that he got some FaceTime in there. But the one reason you won't recognize him is because uh, even though Gabby wasn't in very good shape then, as he's not in very good shape now, he had a lot of hair. And he was still about 50 pounds thinner. So, uh, yeah, he's got uh, he's got some face time, some action time uh, in slap shot. Gabby yeah, has uh, some, he has some infamous infamous uh, pictures wearing a leaf uniform with lots of hair. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look for him. And then you mentioned it before, and I introduced this movie to my wife before she had seen Slapshot the original. What's up with Slapshot 2? I mean, come on. The classic Slapshot. And then I'm watching this and I'm like going, she actually watched it from beginning to end. And I had to leave probably about half to two thirds of the way through it. I just, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't, couldn't keep watching. So let me ask you then. So you're saying she did not see Slapshot before she saw Slapshot 2. Is that correct? That is correct. I've turned her into a hockey fan, and uh, it's we have Slapshot the DVD, but Slapshot doesn't come up on TV very often, and if it's on regular TV, it's a silent film. Well, it's funny how Slapshot 2 came up. Um, I think there was a lot of there, – there actually was a lot of attempts to get Slapshot 2 done. Uh, 
certainly after Slapshot One went through, and 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 you know to uh, to contradict a lot of the people, although it didn't get initial good reviews from the critics. Uh, later on, you know the critics recognized uh, their mistakes. In fact, I think uh, it was Cecil and Eberk. I think were the uh, the critics on David Letterman one time, and Letterman says, you know, did you ever did you ever give a thumbs down to a film that later on you went back and watched and, and you knew you were wrong and you gave it a thumbs up and they said, yeah, slap shot. So uh, the thing about, they wanted to do a, a sequel. Uh, one, you know, we didn't agree to that seven year movie deal. So that kind of put things on it. And two, there was some litigation going on between the production company and, and et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, put it, put a damper on, on the sequel. So it was 25 years later after uh, after one of the litigants in the movie or in the uh, the ownership of, of the rights kind of passed away and they got all that stuff squared away that they they put together a I'd have to say they they put together a script that was quickly put together and literally two weeks before they started filming they called the Hanson brothers up and said hey guys we want you to do Slapshot too are you interested we didn't re we haven't read the script we had nobody we had no idea who was in the movie. Uh, all we knew was that uh, Universal Studios was calling us up saying we want to do Slapshot too. You know, do you want to come up for a month? And we're going to pay a, you know, this. And we kind of said, duh, yeah, of course. So when we got there and uh, and we started seeing who was who was uh, the main character, Stephen Baldwin, we said, oh no, kind of, what did we get ourselves into? So we, you know, we tried to make the best of it. So uh, is it is it Comparable to Slapshot original? Absolutely not. Uh, is there some good? I think there's some good stuff in it. The Hanson Brothers, I think, were great. As I mentioned, we got the Best Supporting Actor awards for it, so somebody thought we were pretty good. Uh, but you can't compare anything to Slapshot, the original. Even we did Slapshot three, you know, and, and quickly how that came about is, you know, the Hanson Brothers have been touring uh, North America, you know, for years, and Many of the fans that come up are young kids, and we talked the Universal into saying, "Hey, you know what? Instead of uh, having uh, a dad like Doug Peters' dad, who takes the kid to, to an R-rated movie before he's of age, let's come up with something PG so they can enjoy us." So they came out with Slapshot Three, which I think for a PG level film is uh, is some pretty pretty good entertainment. You've got three movies to your credit. Are there any other movies that uh, that you're starring in that we don't know about? Uh, none that I want to uh, disclose at this moment. <laughs> we talked a couple uh, minutes about uh, food, and I'm glad to hear that you're a White Castle guy because that was going to be a White Castle year and a. I'm glad to hear you're a Coney guy because I love hot dogs. And I've introduced Marty to some hot dogs when we were in Cincinnati, these little hot dogs that were probably about four or five inches long and i think they marty correct me if i'm wrong they're pink in color and they were covered with uh chili and marty's like looking and going what the heck did i get myself into and smothered with cheese <laughs> on top of it and they they were great but some of the the best hot dogs in the land are just regular hot dogs out of chicago with portillo's and a few other places but um i will have to see what i can do to get some hot dogs out your way dave yeah, I'll, I'll gladly. Uh, I like a hot dog, so I'll I'll be waiting. Good, good. It's got to be those roots to Wisconsin where it's bratwurst and Polish sausages and cheese. 
that's inbred oh, in anybody yeah. born in Wisconsin. Marty, did you have some questions that uh, you wanted to throw at Dave? Yeah, you know what? Talking about, because uh, I did follow uh, Christian, your son's uh, career that uh, when he was uh, wearing the blue up here north of the border and uh, just wanted to see where uh, Christian's at nowadays. Uh, I'm not sure if he uh, went on uh, past uh, the Maple Leafs, uh, traded or where he ended up going. Didn't uh, find out. So maybe you can fill our audience in, Dave, on uh, where uh, tr tr Christian's at now. Yeah, Christian, uh, when Christian left Toronto, he, um, and I don't know the sequence, I'd have to think a little bit about it, but he ended up signing with, he signed with Washington Capitals, Boston Bruins, um, and St. Louis Blues. And then his last year, he, he went over to Norway, spent a year in Norway, uh, wanted to try something different and won a championship over there and, and came back and he said, uh, well, you know what, I, you know, he had a couple offers to continue to play, and he says, I think it's uh, about time for me to move on. So he's actually working for a, an insurance firm um, out of Toronto, um, Sutton, uh, Sutton Special Risk, who uh, he heads up their sports uh, insurance department. So he's still in the game because he, uh, he does disability, especially insurance for uh, many of the NHL players and, uh, and of the uh, – um, minor leagues and uh and so you know he's living here in pittsburgh was able to work out of pittsburgh travels uh, nice. back and forth uh, at least up to this point he was traveling back and forth to toronto uh but you know he he's moved on uh still utilizes uh you know the contacts and the experiences he had as a professional hockey player uh, in his trade right now and is doing a great job at it yeah, you know, uh, Doug and I were talking prior to the podcast starting, uh, and I didn't realize it until uh, I saw him on Blades. Your son is a big boy. He's 6'6". He was up to 235, I think, when he was playing. Does that sound right? Yeah, he's 6'4". Yeah, he's 6'4", uh, probably 6'6 six, six on skates. But, yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a big kid. Had a, uh, a big kid that was skilled. You know, had a lot of skill. Um, Great hands. Really, when Brian Burks, yeah, Brian Burks signed him out of, right out of Notre Dame, he they lost the uh, regional championships, uh, and uh, we were actually driving home from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, and Berkey called uh, called me and uh, said, "Hey, uh, was Christian with you?" I said, "Yeah." He says, "Well, he says I'd like to we'd like to sign him." And uh, awesome. Berkey's an old Minnesota boy, uh, Doug. You know him, um, and uh, you know a guy that I, I played against and I uh, was good friends with and respected a lot. And, and uh, didn't have to second guess uh, that uh, decision. At least Christian didn't, and uh, really enjoyed his time in Toronto. Yeah, yeah, and you I know what? He sorry, go ahead, Doug. He Berkey was an Edinaite, so that uh, might have been the. Uh, you might ask him about how his taste is for cake. Oh, <laughs> uh, don't believe me. I I I let him know. I don't I don't uh, take it easy on him. Yeah, you know, uh, for the size uh, Christian uh, is, and when he was playing with the uh, blue, uh, blue and white, because uh, I am the, the kind of bleed blue myself. But that being said, um, he he certainly uh, he didn't uh, look out of place one bit. He certainly uh, stood up, and uh, and I think he was playing. Uh, I'm only going back. Would that be five years ago, uh, Dave, that he was with the Leafs? Oh, I think it's further than that, Marty. It's further than that, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, well, I'm sure you had a second yeah. fridge in your house to feed that boy. No, he loved he loved Toronto. In fact, to this day, I mean, we look back and and uh, just wish things had worked out there a little bit more. Uh, Ron Wilson, who's a you know 
an American uh, as well, uh, was the coach there. And, and for whatever reasons, uh, you know, it just didn't click with Ron. Uh, and Chris made a decision to leave, uh, which unfortunately uh, for Christian was a decision that if he had stayed might have worked out differently because uh, I think about uh, two months into the season, three months into that season, following season, uh, Berkey uh, fired Ron. Um, mm-hmm. yep. and you know things might have worked out differently but but boy the years that uh christian played in toronto to this day he just he considers that as uh his favorite time oh he's enjoyable to watch no question hey doug i'm gonna take it back to you great thank you we're gonna wrap this up because we're keeping you from your lunch dave but we're gonna talk about uh, uh food as i like to think of myself as a, a food critic where where is your go-to place for your favorite meal whether it be in the pittsburgh area uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, wherever? Well, uh, definitely in St. Paul, it's, 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 you know, that's going to be one of my favorites, White Castle, because we don't get those out here in Pittsburgh. And, uh, and pan-fried walleye, you know, you don't find that here. You know, the, at least not the, uh, not the lake, uh, the lake walleye. Um, here you gotta, you know, if you go into a, one of the chain stores or chain restaurants to get walleye certainly isn't what you get back home. So I'd have to say, you know, that that's it right there. The, the White Castle and the, and the uh, Minnesota walleye. And is there a best pizza place in Pennsylvania that you would say is the best in the land? No. <laughs> I haven't found it. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to take you out to Boston because there is a place out in Boston, right by the Boston airport, Santapio's Pizza Joint. It is a true pizza joint, and it is uh, a double garlic is usually enough to peel wallpaper up walls uh, in a hotel room the next day, and they have barbecue there as well. You can get lamb. Uh, you can get sausage, you can get uh, steak tips, but uh, I will starve myself flying across country to go for that pizza, and I think that's the best. And, and Marty's got one. He wants to ask you some questions about your what, what you're doing with the Hanson brothers because they still exist. You're still touring with them, and we'd like to know, Marty, take it away. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Doug. Yeah, you know what, Dave? I've had the pleasure of meeting you face to face. I think it's about six years ago now. And I had asked you the question about uh, you and the uh, brothers and yourself uh, and the charity work you're doing. And um, perhaps you can share a little bit with our audience uh, what the cause that uh, your charity work uh, uh, supports and and what uh, what's involved in that. Uh, what are you folks, uh, what are you guys uh, doing presently? Well, the greatest thing about, you know, the Hanson brothers on, on what had happened is it was kind of a freakish thing that uh, when I got out of the game, um, uh, I moved on and became, uh, uh, after spending seven years as a general manager of a ski area in upstate New York, I was hired by the Islanders to uh, manage, be their manager of their farm team uh, down in the Capital District uh, area of New York, Detroit, uh, Albany, uh, Schenectady area. And uh, at that time, I got uh, I got a call from Steve, who was coaching down in Memphis in the Southern Hockey League, and said, hey, uh, uh, we got a, uh, a very slow uh, night coming up for a game uh, because of uh, the basketball uh, championships going on next door. 
uh, our PR department thought it'd be a good idea to see if maybe we can get you and Jeff to come down and, and the three of us will bill it as the Hanson Brothers Reunited. And we'll do a little ceremonial drop of the puck and maybe sign a few autographs uh, after the game and maybe we'll get a few extra fans uh, in the building. I said, yeah, I got that. You know, what's the date? He gave me the date. I said, yeah, I, you know, I got that date off. We can come down. So we worked it out. Well, lo and behold, sold the place out and sat and signed autographs for four hours afterwards. Wow. Uh, my PR guy got a hold of that back in uh, uh, with the Capital District Islanders, who was the name of the team that uh, I was the GM for. And he says, uh, hey, can we do the same thing here? Bring uh, Jeff and Steve up. And, and we did and sold our place out. And the, uh, he put it out on the AP wire. And the next thing we know, we're getting calls left and right to uh, to get the Hanson brothers together. So that kind of kicked it off. I mean, that was, that was uh, let me think here, that was 90, 93 or 95, somewhere in that neighborhood. And from that point on, it's been, we've been all over the world. Uh, and one of the greatest thrills about it, other than realizing that you know, we got fans from the golden age years down to little ankle biters all over the world, uh, is that we've been able to roll that over and helping to raise a lot of charity. We went down and did uh, uh, a big charity game down in California uh, for Luke Robitaille um, for the Children's Hospital and helped raise a half a million dollars. Uh, so it, we don't have any particular uh, charity that we support. We support all charities and anything that we can uh, we can contribute to and, and help out with. You know that's kind of that's kind of the real fun part and the rewarding part about it. Since this COVID thing happened, we've we've been stuck. Uh, we're not traveling anywhere. Right. Um, we're really not doing anything. Uh, the one thing that I have in an effort to you know keep my face out there because my Christian been bugging the heck out of me was uh, get on this cameo.com thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, where people. Yeah. yeah, so you know, and, and I fought it. I said, you know, no one, nobody's going to want me, or nobody's going to want just me, uh, and two, nobody's going to want me at all. And Christian said, well, give it a shot. So I figured I'd, I, I wouldn't have any, you know, I'd give it a try. Not going to get very many. And uh, lo and behold, I got bombarded. And it's been a lot of fun because it's anywhere from helping to pick up the spirits of someone that's going through some tough times to uh, to um, congratulating somebody on a successful divorce or, uh, you know, just saying <laughs> happy birthday, you know. But it's been a blast. I've been getting responses back. So it's it's been some fun stuff. You know, that's a great story, Dave. I got to tell you, um, uh, folks, our audience that's listening uh, to uh, to this podcast, uh, take the opportunity you know locker room speeches uh, our minor hockey uh, has been affected so much by what's uh, what's going on as you mentioned dave with the covid uh, the covid issue and uh, you know kids getting back in the locker rooms and little down and out uh, what a great opportunity to bring uh, dave hansen uh, into the locker room uh, virtually if you will to uh, give that uh, locker room rah rah speech so that's great stuff so cameo.com folks if uh, if you're wondering how to bring dave into your uh, into your life good batter and different but uh, that's awesome Thank you very much, Marty. Uh, we want to thank you, Dave. It's been great. I know we've gone way further than uh, you would probably hope for uh, with this. We want to get you to your lunch, but uh, we want to thank you for joining us. want to thank everyone for listening in to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. Have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode? Please email your questions or request to info at zamboni.com. 
For more information and additional podcast episodes, please visit Zamboni.com forward slash podcast or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. This is Doug Peters along with Marty Elliott and Dave Hansen wishing you an ice day.